This is not, this is not because, you know, I have a friend who's a real wackadoodle, right? And John knows who I'm talking about. John, and he's, he's totally whacked. But sometimes his thought is not confined. So it's not like he's going to write stuff off, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. He's like a free thinker. And he's into his cats, but we won't go there. <laughs> so he went, and John knows who I'm talking about. You know, everybody's got their issues. He went and spent, he like spent his, 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 he spent a lot, a lot of money on light bulbs for his cats a long time ago that mimicked the sun. And, and he's the one that really put the seed in me about the lighting because he was saying years ago, you know, like my cats are confused in the house. And, but now I, I don't like cats. I'm going to put them. On. <laughs> I wouldn't, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't spend a nickel on a cat. If you're a cat lover, I'm sorry. They're just not for me, <laughs> but that's what got me started. And that's why I've been reading this. That you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly you get stuffed with ravioli. Your mama's a paisano. You will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian-American Podcast. I'm your host, John Viola, joined today by my partner in crime, the Italian-American Wikipedia himself, Mr. Patrick O'Boyle. We are preparing for Memorial Day weekend. There is an excitement in the air. I think the unofficial start of summer has an extra oomph this year as we look out at a world that is slowly but surely opening back up to normal. Uh, I can speak for myself here in Brooklyn, New York. Things are getting a bit back to normal. People are more outside. People are more engaged. Businesses are opening back up again, and the restrictions that have kind of kept us separated and sequestered over all these months are starting to evolve and uh, it's an exciting time right now. So I'm looking very much forward to an enjoyable Memorial Day weekend. Pat, I know we spent the last week doing a sort of reopening of our own. We spent three or four days locked down with Stephanie and Joe and Brendan and the team behind the scenes that makes all of our projects go. And I thought it was really great after all these months of working remote over Zoom with everybody to kind of be back together again. And it's really exciting to plan forward for the year and all the episodes that we've arranged and interviews we're setting up and opportunities to start traveling again and visiting all these amazing Italian-American locations on our YouTube series, Greetings from Italian America. I don't know about you, but it was just really great to be together and get time in person, get to share good work with everybody, but also uh, good meals, or I should say you guys enjoyed some great meals at some of the best Italian-American spots uh, over in Jersey where we were working. Obviously for me, I'm on the final weeks of my 40-day misery cleanse, but uh, I wouldn't want to live. It's horrible the way you got to live with that. He goes everywhere with a can of tuna, and he has to find arugula. I'm not making this up. I lost 20 pounds, though. I don't understand the science of the diet that you're on. That's why I'm not cheering this. You're an intermittent faster. You do that pretty I'm on intermittent fasting. It's just well, it could I be... understand the science behind intermittent fasting. This doctor you got now, it's like – if he could sit down and explain what it does to change the metabolism, I would be much more on board of you going everywhere with an ubiquitous can of tuna, <laughs> not even an oil tuna, no fat. Oh my God. You guys see him. 
It's like, why is he, why was fat banned? Because you got to go into fat reserves to burn them. That's the whole science behind it. If that doctor wants to come on. <laughs> we should do that at the end uh, of this thing. I know he's not Italian. I had this conversation with you. No, he's not Italian. No. No, doctor, no Italian doctor would ever impute that on anyone. But you're a big, big believer in the intermittent fasting. You, you've been yeah, doing it for like, years. I, I intermittent fast twice a week, but I understand what it does. Does it make you feel better? I think a rock star. I intermittent fasted yesterday. I went without food for 29, 30, maybe over 30 hours. Yeah, I would say about 30 hours, 30, 31 hours. And I felt like a rock star. But I understand that. I've read about it. I've studied it. I understand why it works. Well, it's interesting walking to... Walking around with the tuna and the arugula and the lemons, uh, you know, spritzada ka, spritzada la. I just don't understand it. He goes, I'm like, I tell the people out there in, in listener land, you go into a restaurant. This has happened now on multiple occasions. Stephanie can attest to this. And everybody orders like, John's like, for dietary reasons, I cannot eat. And he takes out of his bag this little, it's, a t- it's like a World War II K-Rag. <laughs> it's like what it must have been like on the beaches in Normandy. <laughs> this little canned tuna and then a lemon magically appears and he squirts his, the lemon on top and then he always has to find it like he goes to the restaurant can you give me arugula charge me for just a root and it's tuna which is not a bad thing no i would prefer a good italian tuna with oil i can't i can't use the oil i don't know if i would want to eat it like you for the last 30 days no i mean i'm on day 36 i mean this has been a whole lifestyle change for me I'm definitely craving Italian treats or the pasta, the bread, the sweets and things. But I'll tell you what, I do feel really great. I'm down 20 pounds. I feel like a different person. But I do find it kind of interesting because I feel like a lot of the past few episodes we've done have come back to questions of wellness and health and lifestyle. You know, obviously, yeah, maybe I'm just thinking about it through that lens because of everything I'm going through. But, you know, when we spoke to Karima Moyernaki a few episodes back about food and the development of Italian food and sustenance. And then last week with Dino Spencer talking about boxing and health and how much it meant for people to be able to go to the fifth street gym during the pandemic, to work out, to be around one another. And I know maybe it's because we are sort of reopening, as we said in the introduction, everybody is thinking about these things of lifestyle, of what it means to be active, what it means to eat, how we live, particularly in the wake of what has been a world-changing pandemic, right? And it's still obviously going on in so many parts of the world. But this idea of how we treat our bodies, we've had so much time alone indoors with our bodies over the past year and a half to think about how we eat, to think about how we prepare food, think about ingredients and access to ingredients. In the earliest times of this pandemic, there was a lot of people who couldn't get access to food. And, you know, our production had been really thrown off and access to ingredients is an issue that means a lot to a lot of people around the world, even before the pandemic. This has been, I think, a common thread throughout the time that people have been stuck in the house. You just kind of neglect your body. And when you're not you know, running around all day, going to the office, going to different places, it's easy to ignore the important threads of keeping yourself healthy and well. And it's appropriate that we have that conversation over and over and over again as we're coming out of this because today we have a guest on who is an Italian-American that has spent a great deal of the past few years focusing on health and wellness and focusing on personal health and wellness for the individuals and the way that they interact with health and wellness in their environment. And an important topic uh, has always been an important topic uh, and one that I think we are now focusing on in a different light post-COVID. So I'm really excited to welcome our guest on today, He is Paul Shala. 
He is the CEO and founder of Delos, a health and wellness company here in New York that he's going to tell us a little bit more about. Paul, very happy to welcome you on to the Italian American podcast for what I think is a very important conversation. Great to be on and thanks for having me, John. So when we met, we were talking a little bit about your company that you and your brother created. Obviously, health, wellness, the environmental space, how we interact. Could you tell the audience what Delos is and kind of how you got there, how you came to this vision for the company? Absolutely. Happy to do so. You know, it starts with an interesting um, statistic. We, all of us, spend over 90% of our lives indoors. Our homes, offices, schools, hotels, what have you, uh, you know, take your age, (laughs) multiply that times 0.9, and that's how much of your life you have spent inside of a box called four walls and a roof. What we've really done here is to look at this health and wellness paradigm through the lens of the built environment. So we've been merging the health sciences with the building sciences, uh, believe it or not, for almost a decade. Uh, And the first half of that was uh, research, pure research. Um, Put about $100 million of our capital forth on a massive research engine, pulled in Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, hundreds of doctors of different disciplines to work directly with real estate professionals. Owners, operators, developers, architects, engineers, facilities managers, even HR professionals to best understand our indoor environment and its impact on the human condition. And John, we went deep uh, on everything you could imagine that surrounds people inside. Air quality, water quality, lighting, thermal, acoustics, biophilic elements, surface and cleaning protocols, operational policies, even HR policies, mapping those directly to our respiratory, cardiovascular, immune, cognitive, digestive, and sleep health outcomes, among others. Uh, And it's fascinating to see the direct link between what surrounds us and how that impacts uh, all parts of our health outcomes, uh, our energy levels, our sleeping patterns, our moods, our cardiovascular and respiratory outcomes, our near-term and chronic uh, health outcomes. And um, it's, uh, it's been an incredible journey to dive into that science and then bring that to practical applications across the world at this point. So obviously, this is a topic that has gained far more attention and importance in the wake of this unprecedented outbreak that we're suffering around the globe. And even though it feels like things are opening back up and the weather is great and people are dropping their masks, I think it's safe to say we're still suffering this uh, on a global scale. So before we talk about what this program and this company that you guys have created means in relation to this new world that we're experiencing. Let's talk a little bit about what it meant in the old world, because you and your twin brother, two Italian-Americans from New Jersey, you left your Wall Street careers kind of suddenly, right? You guys are both partners at Goldman Sachs, and uh, all of a sudden you up and started this startup. Tell us a little bit about your background and why this company? What made you leave the sort of traditional path at a great company and come out here and start something really unprecedented? Yeah. Uh, as mentioned, grew up in New Jersey, went to NYU, uh, put in 18 years on Wall Street. Uh, the last 10 at Goldman Sachs, was a partner of the firm there and ran a large trading division there, the U.S. fixed income cash trading divisions. And by coincidence, Pete, my twin brother, ended up at Goldman for the last nine years of his career. He ran the equity volatility trading groups. And I would say, John, a few years before leaving Goldman, 
uh, took note of the green building and environmental sustainability movement in real estate and wondered, you know, if half the story wasn't missing. Uh, it obviously was important to focus on our buildings and their impact on the planet. But I wondered why there wasn't more dialogue about all the people we put inside our buildings. Again, all the time we spend indoors. And from a Wall Street lens, it was interesting to consider taking the world's largest asset class, real estate, a $200 trillion asset class, and infusing it with the world's fastest growing industry, health, wellness, prevention, nowadays even health safety, a multi-trillion dollar a year spend. Putting those two things together seemed to have an incredible economic opportunity. But also from a societal standpoint, the idea to use any four walls and a roof as a way to constantly and passively deliver preventative medical intentions, if you will, to, uh, to occupants, to anyone, whether it's in a bedroom, a living room, a classroom, a hotel room, what have you, that seemed to be a profound potential societal opportunity and um, took our time. Uh, years on the side, about three years before leaving Goldman and then obviously left in 2013 and ultimately introduced in 2015, the well building standard through our International Well Building Institute. Over the last five years, that has become the world's largest certification body for healthy buildings. Uh, now over 2 billion square feet in over 90 countries that have achieved the well-certified designation, everything from Fortune 500 corporate headquarters to core and shell office towers, hospitals, schools, stadiums, mixed-use facilities, multifamily, all the way at the affordable housing, all the way on up. So yes, this well-building movement way before the onset of the pandemic had seen incredible growth and incredible adoption as kind of the second chapter to sustainability, if you will, in real estate. Uh, again, the 15 years of focus on green and energy uh, and buildings impact on the planet. To complement that now, the other side of the coin is these same buildings, our homes, our offices, our schools, what have you, and their impact on all the people inside of them. Uh, so the, um, the advancements over the five years pre-COVID were profound. Incredible global adoption and uh, really... <laughs> To your point, and I'm sure we're going to speak of this, the catalyst that that was COVID, um, uh, you know, unfortunately, it took a global pandemic for the world to get some very simple things. And, and, and one of those is the core understanding that what surrounds us matters. At times, what we touch matters, what we breathe matters, how we gather indoors matters, if there's an elevated concern, what have you. Even the type of lighting that enters our circadian optic nerve determines exactly how energized we are during the day and how deeply we'll sleep at night. That fundamental relationship between you and what surrounds you, particularly indoors, is what our platform's been about for almost 10 years. Again, the first half of that research. You know, thinking about the relationship between the person and the place, the person and their environment. As I was prepping for this interview today, I started to think about, as I always do, kind of what is the Italian perspective on this kind of stuff? Is there a commonality, a thematic thread through the Italian and Italian-American experience or one or the other around an issue that we're going to talk about. And obviously today's issue being the impact of our lived environments on us. And I kept thinking back to the old Italian kind of myth or near truth or whatever you want to call it around the dangers of air conditioning. You know, the idea that as an Italian-American, multiple generations into the American experience, I have a very different relationship with the air conditioning 
than the Italians that live in Italy today or some of the older members of my family. I can think back to visiting Italy growing up and air conditioning was always kind of treated as a risk factor. You know, it could be dangerous for you if you leave it on, it's going to make you sick and better to open the windows and all these things. Tourists love it, but the Italians just want to open the window. And I kept thinking about one of my first trips professionally to Italy when I was the president of NEAF was to Calabria. We were celebrating uh, the region of honor in Calabria and we went to this hotel outside of Reggio Calabria and we checked in and it was probably late July. So it was definitely in the nineties every day and my air conditioning didn't work in the hotel room. And so I called the front desk and I said to them, you know, this is going to be a problem. I'm working, I'm in suits, da, da, da. And they said, well, Signora, you know, it, it's much better for you to open the windows. And I said, yeah, but I, my family's three generations in here. My body needs air conditioning. They don't want to spend the money on the electricity. <laughs> That's probably true. Please They're- stop this Italian myth that's about the draft. They're cheap. If air conditioning was free, you'd see how quick their houses would cool. <laughs> that's probably true. But they finally fixed it for me. And sure enough, after the first night of sleeping with the air conditioning on, and I suspect it's because the air conditioning hadn't been turned on in years, I got the worst flu, cold. What I mean, I was psychosomatic. sick. Psychosomatic. Could be psychosomatic. I was sick for like two weeks afterwards. though. It, it, I thought it was going to actually kill me. I was almost converted to the Italian mythology about the air conditioning. The last time they lose, used that air conditioner? Mussolini was in grammar school. That's probably true. It was definitely outdated, and there was something growing in it because it had been. St- it was like a terrarium in there, I'm sure. But it did almost kill me, and I think that they got a big kick out of that. But the reason I bring it up is because the idea of environment impacting you it is kind of cultural. You know how people relate to things, and what are the myths, and what are the wives' tales. Paul, you grew up the son of immigrants, an Italian father and a Dutch mother, correct? Correct. That's correct. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about where your dad came from. Where's your Italian background and how that impacted your life growing up? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my dad was born uh, south of Rome in uh, Caserta and uh, came to the States when he was nine. My mother from Holland, she was seven when she uh, immigrated over. You know, I've got great family back in Italy. I love taking trips there. And, and you make some really good observations with regards to how they view the indoors versus perhaps how it's more uh, formalized in the U.S. But, uh, you know, growing up was um, uh, a lot of time spent together uh, in places. Uh, and I can particularly recall North Plainfield, uh, my grandmother's house, which was two houses down from uh, from where we were uh, growing up. Are you from Piano di Gaiazzi? Piano di Montaverna? No, it's a little town in the mountains. It is in the mountains called uh, Profeti. Because Plainfield had a lot of people from that area. Ah, okay. I'm going to ask my father about that because, yeah, there was a, there was a great Italian community in um, First, in I need to say that. They're, they're the Caserta people. They're by Santa Maria, Capo Avetra, that area. Okay. That's where they all came from. Now, John's going to lock me back, back in the naughty box for interrupting. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Naughty box. They not call it. I have ADD. I got to go back in naughty box. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's, I, I think of the, the, uh, the time spent in... Um, obviously in the basement, right? In my mother, the fixed up basement. And that's where all the meals were. And um, I certainly recall those summers uh, where there was more fans blowing than the air conditioning blowing and the windows open and the, the garage door with you know, the steps up to the outside, what have you, just endless, uh, endless summer, um, great times there. And uh, yeah, I also think of uh, interestingly though, when it comes to that particular environment, it was always quite dark and um, you know, there's a deep connection between light and memory and cognitive ability. And again, this speaks to how the indoor environment 
which is not a natural environment, okay, can impact us. Um, you mentioned air quality, and we're, we're going to get into that. I mean, clearly, what the pandemic showed is that our real estate is and will be the largest carrier of a viral load like this. This concern will come and go, but indoor air quality is um, generally, first of all, two to five times worse than outdoor air quality anywhere in the world. Um, and that's been a decades, if not centuries old problem. And it's good to see the focus on, on indoor air quality, including the pathogen concern. But I, you, you sparked me to remember those countless times in the basement without too much natural light. Um, we are meant to be outside. You know, if you take this back a long time ago, people, we were outside all the time. Okay. This is our ultimate kind of history of how we spent our days. And this is going back thousands and tens of thousands of years, but we used to wake up with the sunrise. We'd be active and energized and productive under a very bright sky all day, okay, as that light would hit our circadian optic nerve and boost all hormones for energy and movement and productivity. We breathed pure air. We drank pristine water. We slept in cooler temperatures versus warmer temperatures. We slept in complete darkness, in fact, and we also digested our food under a different type of light. That was our natural circadian day, completely outside. Somewhere along the line, we started building these boxes around ourselves called four walls and a roof and spending more and more time indoors. Artificial light has completely disrupted our sleep-wake cycles. We're getting way too little light during the day because we're inside. And we're getting way too much exposure to bright light in the evening, let's say 11 o'clock, which tricks our body into thinking it's still afternoon and we're not creating hormones for sleep. Our water runs through infrastructure and pipes and clearly indoor air quality is, uh, is, is worse anywhere indoors than outdoors. So this disruption is something where we've been working on looking to bring the benefits of the natural outdoor condition back inside. Purified air, purified water, natural circadian lighting patterns. Um, and obviously when I think back at those countless hours spent in my grandmother's basement, the light was not great there. And unfortunately, my grandmother um, ended up with Alzheimer's disease later in life. And there is, again, a direct link between the lack of exposure to bright light, for instance, that sky that we're supposed to be getting all day long outside, and how that really triggers thickening plasma and uh, lack of hormone production to the brain later in life. And so again, just a, one example there of, of how a place and place making and where we spend our time, which were incredible times with all the great food and camaraderie. But I do wish that perhaps we paid a little bit more attention to the type of light we're supposed to get during the day as well. And again, that's just the connection again between understanding the indoors, optimizing the indoors um, uh, that can lead to incredible health outcomes. Can I tell you something? Yeah. You were sent by God here today. Oh, No, Paul, you're going to write me off like this kid's a real whack. But listen, I have been reading so much about this whole light thing. Mm. I have a theory. People for years have said that ants tell keys in the Mediterranean diet, that the basis of those were based on the actual things that people ate, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things about the Mediterranean diet. Sure, ants tell keys found the Cilento, the area around Piopi, filled with people eating vegetables constantly, right? Almost in an artificial sense because it was a deprivation that came after the war. There was little meat. But the people of that area, they ate lard and fat and, you know, homemade suprasad. That was their main protein source. Mm-hmm. Every day from pigs they killed, they ate cheese. So if you go strictly, in my opinion, by what Ansel Key said, I think that there's a hole in the, in the theory because 
there's a missing factor. I have come to this theory reading about this stuff. And I had no, you know, I don't read the show notes before people come on. I do a Larry King. I just walk in and what I find, I find. <laughs> I have been reading so much about this because I have a theory that they keep saying that people in the south of Italy or Greeks live for such a long time, right? My grandfather's family is from the Cilento and they're one of those, is it blue zones? The zones that yeah, yeah, sure, 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 right, yeah. and and it's very typical there for people to live to be 100, 605. Yeah, but they were out all si- they're outside all day long. Outside, outside. And their their clocks, right? They're getting up at five. Yeah. They're going out, and because they have animals to milk, they're making multiple trips. Yeah. At least the older generation. I think it's going to end with their kids because their kids have adopted the lifestyle of the rest of Western Europe. But you would get up, go walk down because the land and the house is not connected. So right. your, your animals are out in the field. So you have to get up at 5.30, walk a mile, milk the goats, gather the goat milk, feed the chickens, go back to the house, make cheese out of the goat milk, prepare your lunch, go out. So they're, out, they're going back and forth all day long. They're walking yep. in sunlight. Yep. And my thing is, I wonder how much of that Mediterranean diet is that you can be outside all the time in sunlight. Patrick, oh. you're bringing up the perfect point, and I think this will drive it home. In terms this is why of- John brought me here, just so you know. <laughs> Moments like this, this is why he's got me around. Well, check this out. This is what we found through years of research, again, with world-renowned experts at Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, what have you. Here's the deal. Everyone on this line, okay, our health outcomes. 5% of our health outcomes are genetic, okay? 5% of what could happen to any one of us, okay, through our lifestyle, um, statistically, is genetic. We can't do anything about that, uh, at least not yet. So put that on the shelf, okay? Another 20 to 25% of those health outcomes are determined by our lifestyle and care. What we eat, what we drink, how much we exercise, what kind of access to care we have. Here's what's crazy, and it's to your exact point, Patrick. The rest, up to 70% of all chronic health outcomes are determined by our surrounding environmental and social conditions, basically where we place Absolutely. The air we breathe, the water we drink, the lighting we're exposed to, the thermal, the acoustics, basically where we place ourselves, which in today's day and age is basically indoors. 90% of our life, of our, of our waking and sleeping lives are inside. So really paying attention to what surrounds us is fundamental to achieving that 100, 105, 106-year-old status. It's, um, I think you're nailing something there because they are outside most of the time. I love to listen to YouTube interviews of people who were centenarians in the 1980s. Yeah, there you go. Because with the video camera, you could, you could tape grandma, right? Grandma's turning 100. She's born 1880, 1884. She turns 100 in 1984, and they go with the camera, and they start talking to grandma. That's not possible with a Super 8 film in the 1960s. Irish television, RTE, did a a documentary with a doctor in the 1980s who was 100 years old and still practicing. Mm, He passed his boards in 1919. And when they asked him, he goes, and I was blown away by this. He said his number one concern when he became a physician was, I guess, um, but people getting like the flu. That was his big concern. That's what killed people. But he said that his patients were a million times healthier in general. If you take the influenza, like, you know, the, that type of stuff out of it, like uh, tuberculosis, if you take all that out of it, they were a million times healthier. And he accredited it to two things. He goes, everyone was drinking spring water. Hmm. And he said there was no artificial fertilizers which have destroyed our springs. Mm-hmm. And he was blamed the farmers. 
he said everyone was walking all the time and sugar was scarce. And he said that as far as the chronic stuff we have today, they were not the things he had to worry about as a physician. And he said the patient that he was treating, now this is in the 1980s, was a totally different patient than when he was treating in 1920. Hmm. Wow. There's another great thing. You know what else I love reading? And I've, I've spent a lot of time reading about the reaction to people to introduction to electric lights in the home. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a big, because New Jersey, I mean, we have to remember Thomas Edison had a huge part of the introduction of, I mean, I think West Orange, West Orange was the first town in America that had electric lights, uh, street lamps. And they said that with gas lamps, that was kind of like an, a little upgrade from a candle. Yeah. Right. You could just kind of get around. And they said when electric lights came on, that people were blown away because you could really work at night. With gas lamps and candles, you could kind of, you know, you really, you couldn't, you really needed daylight. Yeah. But they, yeah. somebody comments when, when the electric lights come to his house, he makes a comment like, something like kind of night has become day, day has become night. I can keep my business going all night long. And it goes off about how in that period of the 1880s, sleep patterns are changing because now you really can't work at night. Before the electric light, you had to go to bed. There's nothing else going on. I mean, how long are you going to sit around the fire for? Well, there's two things happening there. And yes, you could be active and work at night. But what's even more profound, Patrick, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Since the invention of the light bulb, first of all, for tens and tens and tens, if not hundreds of thousands of years, okay, we had light during the day. It was completely dark at night. And that was our balanced circadian rhythm. Okay. And that light, there's a nerve in your eye, Patrick, that has nothing to do with vision. It's called the circadian optic nerve. It was discovered probably 15 years ago. And that nerve takes in light or darkness and it's literally the only thing that's telling your body your biological clock what time of day it is and when it's time for sleep and when it's time to be up and energized so a normal 24-hour balanced circadian rhythm a sleep-wake cycle as that light starts to change towards the evening the setting sun that is telling your body it's time to start digesting food and preparing for sleep And when it gets to be total darkness, that nerve tells your body the only thing that triggers melatonin, hormones for sleep. Now, think of what happened in that little town in New Jersey when electric light, artificial light was invented. It completely disrupted our connection to nature, to nature's clock. We started to get more and more exposure to light in the evening. Our body doesn't know any differently. I can tell you this, if you're getting exposure to a whitish, bluish light bulb at 11 o'clock at night. It's terrible for you. It's tricking your body into thinking it's noon. Your body knows no differently than that light. So all of your hormones for sleep are being completely suppressed and your hormones for energy and activity are elevated. You will not sleep as deeply as you like and you certainly are not going to get the length of sleep you need. So since the light bulb disrupted that entire 24-hour circadian day, we have all been walking around in a constant state of twilight. We're getting way too little light during the day because we're inside. We're getting way too much light at night because it's artificial. And it's taking our hormone balances to be at middle levels. Instead of extreme sleep hormones and extreme productivity hormones, we're kind of in the middle. None of us are sleeping as deeply as we should. And it's because of our artificial light and particularly the wrong type of light late in the day. And none of us are as energized as we should be during the day. Who doesn't want to sleep deeper? Who doesn't want to have more energy? Simply paying attention to light and matching that light to the circadian science, which is a yellow, softer hue of light 
in the evening and a bright white bluish type of light during the day that mimics the sky, do that through circadian lighting. We have some products on that, but, but there's a lot of that out there. But match your lighting patterns and exposure to the sun and you will have much more energy and you will get much deeper sleep. So you're, You know you're, what I've been doing myself? Yeah. Number one, for the last couple of years, I've read studies yeah. about how um, the ideal sleep temperature is 66 degrees. That's correct. It's, uh, cooler. Yeah. So I keep my air condition at night at 66. Yeah. And in the winter, I drop my heat down so it's 66. Hmm. But also what I've started to do is I keep basically one tiny light in my kitchen above the stove on at night. Hmm. I keep my house as dark as possible. That's good. Intuitively, if I don't need the light, I know that people said he's crazy, but now I actually got somebody to prove that I am not crazy with this because they all think I'm nuts. I'm walking around in a dark house, but I'm like, I've read so much of this. I'm, I'm right, right, Paul? I'm not off the you deep You are end. 100% right. If you wake up in the middle of the night, the last thing you want to do is turn all the lights on. No further questions, Your Honor. We're on the same page. <laughs> I, I feel justified. There are bulbs that mimic 24-hour circadian. We, we can get you the exact sun patterns inside your house. People, this is not an advertisement. This is God's honest truth. But the beauty of living in 2020, what is this, 2021 now? Yeah. Post-pandemic, I don't even know what year it is. 2021 is, with technology, we can kind of get the best of both worlds. Absolutely, you can. That's what's fascinating now. We are at the point, because we're, we're inside so much of our time, with technology, we can actually engineer and optimize our surrounding environmental conditions to adapt to us. For tens of thousands of years, it was the other way. The human condition has adapted to their surrounding environmental conditions. We can actually engineer the opposite now. And you can do this with a $19 light bulb. You know, this isn't something out of reach for anyone. If we can pay attention to what surrounds us, we can actually have um, some incredible... Let me ask you about these light bulbs. Yeah. The basis of the incandescent light bulb was actual burning filament. Am I correct in that? I believe, yeah, you are. So that's a much more natural light. Then the new light bulbs, the ones that we have to get now, I yeah. forget what they call Yeah, them. the LED lights, yeah. The LED lights. So my idea is a burning filament kind of mimics a fire. Am I correct? Sure. And sure. fire was always around, right? Fire is cool. If you're sitting around the fire, you're all right. Am I right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why I went and hoarded. When they were banning those light bulbs, uh-huh. I hoarded filament light bulbs. <laughs> right. I had a garage. I was just going everywhere, you know. <laughs> and that was the reason. Because I'm like, this evokes a fire. You can sit around a fire. What makes these light bulbs special? The uh, lux and temperature and hue of light. That's really all it is. If you take a light spectrum, okay, on one end, you've got a very high lux, high temperature, whitish, bluish type of light, okay? And on the other end of the spectrum, you got a yellow, softer, kind of dimmish hue of light. Those are all measurable. And you can actually choose across that spectrum at no increased cost. Okay, LED lighting can be set at any level. So paying attention to that and then even getting into lighting that is dynamic where it adjusts. The circadian day can be exactly matched. That's what really you want to pay attention to. It's the type of light, the power, the intensity, the color, the hue. And, you know, again, if you've got a, if you got, I've got a light in my bathroom um, that um, it's great for the morning because it's a super, super high lux. It's it, whitish bluish light but you pop that on it's it's in the mirror in my bathroom you pop that on while you're brushing your teeth or in the morning and that is stripping all lingering traces of melatonin out of your body within minutes it's like four cups of coffee light is medicine light can wake you up light can put you to sleep 
Light can keep you energized. Light can help you digest food. So yeah, I mean, this is just one category of, again, looking at the indoors, air quality, water quality, lighting, thermal, acoustics, all of this. Let me ask you a question. Please, John. You know, like you say, light's one aspect of this, right? And wellness is a very broad theme and terminology today. You know, we talk about things like blood memory and uh, DNA studies and how that impacts your wellness. Like you say, you know, 5% of your health is genetic. You talk about light, you talk about air, you talk about the food we eat, the time we spend, the way we work, the screens, everything. You're a guy who's gone from a career in finance and education in finance. And, you know, speaking to you now, if we didn't introduce you, one might think you were a doctor because of the loads that you've taken in over the years building this company. Tell us a little bit about what Delos does with the information and the research and the data-driven patterns that you guys have pursued. You know, you, you've built this great knowledge. How do you then impact society? What, what is, what's the company's raison d'etre, I guess? Yep, great, John. So again, one side of the organization is our institute, the International Wellbuilding Institute that governs the wellbuilding standard. Uh, that's in over 90 countries. That's a kind of a rating agent, if you will, a certification body. Uh, we've actually put out the Well Health Safety Rating this past year, uh, which is a good third-party verification of operational protocols and policies as it pertains to pathogens. So that's one side of the organization. On the other side of the organization is where we went further, zooming into specific products solutions, technology, software that are good health upgrades for any type of space. I'll give you an example. Just in the last six months alone, we've become the United States largest solution provider for air filtration technology into public school classrooms. Uh, We've moved over a quarter of a million units already into school classrooms. And you're talking about a standalone portable device, plugs into the wall. It's a couple hundred dollars. Ready for this? 99.97% reduction of an airborne viral load wow. at 0.007 microns. That's way smaller than SARS-CoV-2 particles, not to mention everything else, pathogens, mold, spores. I, I have a question. Is yeah. that going to make a room too clean? I mean, do we need, because part of the farm experience, right? Yeah. My, my father grew up on a farm in the West of Ireland in the 1950s. I mean, hygiene was impossible. Yeah. Right. So you were constantly with the animals, constantly, you know, there wasn't water to wash your hands. It was an, outha- an outhouse, that type of stuff. So I often say that so much of these uh, European farmers who live to be so old, part of it is that they have heavyweight champion boxer level immune systems. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Because they were, they were constantly combating pathogens, diseases. Are we um, handicapping our own immune system? Yeah, no, great, great question. Uh, with regards to air quality, you never want anything but pristine, pure air. Uh, as it pertains to respiratory outcomes. As I see. So the, the air is different. Air than- is, it's, okay. yeah, that, 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 that argument, you know, folks say, yeah, go outside and eat dirt. Um, and look, there is certainly um, uh, elements to your immune system. You don't want to be living in a bubble. But as it pertains to air quality, you want nothing lodging into you, your lungs. You don't want ultrafine particles getting stuck in there. So uh, there is never uh, an argument to be made in air quality on anything but absolute pristine air quality. And uh, the great news is you can, you can attain this $300 device, one or two of them in a classroom, and you've got incredible filtration, not only for this pathogen environment, but the direct ties to cognition, mental acuity, performance, absenteeism, reduction of asthma rates, influenza. So we're, you know, now again, over 250,000 units already put into public school classrooms in the U S and just getting started. So that's a practical example uh, John and Patrick, as to how we deploy this, uh, this knowledge, if you will. 
your favorite entertainment made in Italy. Mediaset Italia has new dramas, addictive quiz shows, and the hottest reality TV this spring. Tune in for new seasons of Italy's favorite talent competition, Amici, the fastest quiz show around, Avanti Un Altro, celebrities marooned on an island in L'Isola dei Famosi, and don't miss new dramas airing Wednesdays starring your favorite Italian talents. DirecTV has the Italian TV you love. Get Mediaset Italia for $10 a month plus taxes or Italian Direct Package for $20 a month plus taxes. Visit directtv.com slash mediaset or call 1-877-912-2702 to learn more and subscribe. World Direct a la carte service requires activation of a qualifying base package. All programming subject to change. For new customers, equipment lease, activation, early termination, equipment non-return, and other charges and restrictions apply. Call 1-877-912-2702 or visit att.com for full details. I used to walk, I mean, I do walk, right? I would walk a couple of miles every night, right? And I would walk on the main street in my hometown. And then I started to realize, I'm like, I'm breathing in dioxins, right? Because it's a very busy street. So I'm like, I'm walking and I'm inhaling dioxins, right? So subsequently, I changed my route. I'll either walk on a track, which is overlooking a river and really doesn't have any car traffic at all, or I'll walk side streets. But I was like, you know, I'm not imitating a rural setting of walking because I'm getting garbage pumped in my lungs constantly. No doubt. No doubt. And guess what? It's even worse when you go inside because the air doesn't circulate at all. Anywhere. Two to five times worse. We're not hiding from pollution because we're going indoors. And and that's a real problem. And here's the opportunity. Okay. Uh, If you asked a hundred people two years ago about indoor air quality in the world, in the developed world, a hundred people, you probably have one out of a hundred that had a thought, care, concern, knowledge, or even awareness of indoor air quality. The fact that, by the way, it's two to five times worse anywhere than outside. Um, that number now, less than two years later, is 99 out of a hundred people. You'd be hard pressed anywhere in the developed world to find anyone who has not thought about indoor air quality in the last year and a half. And obviously it took a pathogen concern to get people to be aware, but that is an opportunity. We can now focus because folks are astutely aware and concerned about a very big problem, which is what we're breathing in, all these toxins and VOCs and synthetic materials that we surround ourselves with and the lack of ventilation or circulation of air indoors. You know, you do the right thing. You walk away from pollution when you're outside. You don't have that choice indoors. You know, if I put a dirty glass of water in front of you, you wouldn't drink it. You have that choice. You don't have that choice with air quality. You can't see how dirty it is. And so this is a fundamental basic, basic need here to take a $200 trillion asset class, real estate, and make sure that the indoor air quality is addressed. Um, And that's the opportunity ahead of us. Paul, you feel a little bit like the guy in Pompeii who kept saying, you know, I think that mountain's ready to burst. I mean, you've been doing this for all these years now and really bringing together minds from the Mayo Clinic and the the Cleveland Clinic and all of these great thinkers and leaders and studying best practices like the LEED certification on the building's green impact and things like that. And then all of a sudden, as the company is, is growing and successful and raising capital, getting the attention of decision makers, and then this thing hits, do you look at the post pandemic world? Obviously it's going to be incredibly different. Like you're saying, can we avoid this kind of thing again? Is there is the technology there? Is the information there? 
the technology is, the information is, uh, we um, certainly have seen, John, uh, most of what we've been doing for, again, almost a decade, uh, move now more into a must-have bucket from a nice-to-have. Uh, before, it was like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, to, to look at these things. And by the way, to build a well-certified platinum building, okay, brand-new construction building, the incremental cost to do that is about one-third of 1% premium to normal construction. It's nothing. These are about more intelligent, more informed decisions, not necessarily more expensive decisions. So this is and has become mainstream, will continue to. And the way we've approached this all along is that, you know, one of my proudest days going through this process for the last 10 years is after year five, when we took over $100 million of our private sector capital and research um, and took all of that knowledge, that body of work that became the well-building standard and put it online for free. Wow. Health and wellness in the built environment, okay, needs to be positioned as a right, not a privilege. And so as a standard bearing organization, we felt, okay, we need to democratize this information. Whether folks get certified or not, or use the programs, number one, let's disseminate the information. And at wellcertified.com, you can find an incredible library of the relationship between you and what surrounds you. And that's relevant to anyone. And so that's been really cool. But yes, we do see this as an opportunity going forward. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the idea of the access for everybody and the, the cost in a new building and how impactful it can be to address these things. And when you look at it as a return on investment, I know, you know, when a lead came out, a lot of residential units, hotels, things like, you know, that they found that they were actually selling or renting at a, at a premium to other buildings because of these certifications. People do care about this stuff. The consumer cares, and particularly now with COVID, more and more so. And you talk about what is entailed in putting this kind of study and this kind of work and certification into a new building. But at the same time, particularly here at the Italian American podcast, you know, we look at our relation to uh, space here in the U.S., but also in Italy. And obviously, Italy is a country where, you know, new buildings, of course, go up, but so much of the patrimony there is architectural. So much of it is the buildings that were built at a time when we didn't believe in germs. You know, we've judged health based on the humors. So it's oftentimes catching those buildings up with things as simple as uh, electric air, Wi-Fi. Yeah. Right? You guys, I know from our previous conversations, have recently signed a significant agreement with the Vatican. So yeah. obviously you're talking about the world's smallest state, but also with some of the world's most important and historical architecture and patrimony. What's that look like, first of all, working in the Vatican? Secondly, how are you treating these, these older buildings as you bring them into the 21st century for health? Yeah, great point. So um, uh, over three quarters of our projects and clients and, and, and what we serve are on existing buildings. Um, this is not a just a new construction thing. And, you know, if you look in the United States, 98% of the square footage in the United States already exists and is occupied. And so putting forth programs like, for instance, what we're doing with the schools, those are 100 plus year old buildings, New York City, Department of Ed, what have you, being able to get them air filtration upgrades at a couple hundred dollars and scaled into any building, any space at any time. That's key because that, that, that's what will have uh, most impact. Um, and you bring up an incredible example whereby we've been able to get several buildings now in Vatican City to achieve the well health safety rating. And also, in fact, we're really fortunate and honored to uh, be able to provide all types of health and wellness programming, the lighting, the circadian lighting, air filtration technology, water filtration technology into Pontifical Oriental Institute uh, in Vatican City. Uh, that was the first um, uh, 
first project that we uh, that we partnered on. And this all really stemmed from um, uh, back to uh, Laudato Si, Pope Francis's doctrine uh, when he first came on um, uh, years ago, recognizing that the Roman Catholic Church is uh, by definition one of the largest, if not the largest, affiliated owners of real estate in the world. You know, when you look at the schools, the orphanages, the hospitals, universities, churches, what have you. Uh, and by definition, because of that, is one of the larger culprits of climate change uh, because our buildings emit uh, carbon. Uh, and uh, the doctrine really pointed to two sides of the narrative, one on the environmental sustainability side. And, and I think that really kicked off a great solar initiative with the uh, with the church uh, and the buildings therein, but also the other side was on the societal uh, standpoint, the, the human or biological impact, uh, and particularly of the built environment, looking at all the occupants, all the people uh, inside these buildings. And, and so that was a wonderful opportunity for us to showcase um, and, uh, and put uh, programming forth to demonstrate that even if you've got a building that's, you know, or buildings that are thousands of years old, they can absolutely be uh, upgraded uh, and upgraded at scale with technology that can bring them to a much better place for the occupants. I always find it fascinating that I guess bad PR goes a long way, but you know, people tend to think of the Catholic church as uh, an institution with a history of stifling science and discovery and thought and progress. And in reality, if you really dig in, I'm a, I'm a practicing faithful Catholic and the church has always been very much on the avant-garde of science and supportive of it. And some of the most important discoveries in human history have been made by priests and brothers and nuns. And it's nice to see uh, an institution like the church ahead of the curve on this and working with a company like Delos to make sure that you say there's not just a dedication to the science and to better human wellness, but also to the impact uh, that we have on other people. You know, you own a building Part of it is, of course, commercial and that you want these things to be rated highly and you want to be clear to your consumer base that the building is uh, more advanced than the competition. But in reality, there's also the aspect, like you say, of sort of giving away a lot of these findings and that you want to do well by the people who come into contact with you and your brand and your company and the properties that you have. So I'm, I'm proud to see that the church is there and has always been sort of on the avant-garde of these kind of things. Tell us a little bit about where the next evolution forward is for you guys because you know you don't think of priests and nuns as scientific contributors i'm sure people don't think of former wall street executives and uh, the people that you've built around you who's this team a little bit where are they coming from in terms of perspective you've got some amazing experts and thinkers and leaders on your board and on your team what kind of backgrounds have you accumulated and where is this going next it's been awesome to get uh, folks of all, all walks of life. I mean, for instance, um, another great Italian-American, Rick Fedrizzi, is chairman of our International Well-Building Institute. Rick founded the Green Building Movement, okay, 15, 20 years ago. He started LEED, LEED certification, uh, as, as you mentioned. And uh, under his leadership, uh, Fedrizzi's leadership at the U.S. Green Building Council, put LEED into 20 billion square feet across 194 countries. You know, really the, the, the grandfather of the Green Building Movement. And when I uh, approached Rick years ago with this idea of a well-building movement, he said, my goodness, you have the second chapter 
of sustainability. What we've done for the last 10, 15 years is focus on the environmental impact that buildings have. What you guys have now is the direct science and the impact that uh, the biological impact buildings have. I would be honored. I'd love to come help proliferate this. And Rick came over years ago to lead our International Well Building Institute. So that, that was a great uh, great success there. You know, whether it's the doctors that we have from, again, Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic and and some of the great folks on our board to other folks across not just academia, but finance, uh, real estate, uh, data, insurance. Um, you know, this this platform touches touches all walks of life and it's got so many different angles to it. And it's also been uh, a testament to the folks we've been able to get behind this from a reach or influence standpoint. One of our early additions to the advisory was Leo DiCaprio, uh, who's become a really good friend and, and a sustainability advocate for quite some time. Our recent campaign, the Well Health Safety Rating, we've been able to get uh, folks like Lady Gaga and J-Lo and Robert De Niro, Michael B. Jordan, Deepak Chopra, Venus Williams, we, when we looked at this, we said, all right, we've got scientific credibility here. Now we want to start to get some attention and combine people of reach and influence and use them as a, as, as, as a messaging tool. If you actually look at the scientific advisory, Surgeon General Carmona and Dr. Stacy Riza, who is uh, head of Mayo Clinic staff, top virologist, they led our task force on this uh, rating. We put 500 virologists together, behavioral scientists, public health experts, virologists led by Carmona uh, and others to inform this rating. Uh, so it's deeply rooted in science. Now, there's another side of this. Get people's attention, okay? Yeah. Three billion media impressions later, okay, six, four or five months into this, people know what that well seal means. Now, what the mechanism of action is to get people's attention, okay, but the point is, if the message underneath and the science underneath rings true, uh, it helps it scale. Well, it's clear to me that the message underneath and the science underneath have been diligently pursued. And I love speaking to Italian-Americans who have gone in a surprising direction like yourself, who have made themselves masters of an area that uh, I think might have even surprised them when they set out on their professional journey. And we always say our people have an amazing ability to be renaissance people. And I think it sounds like you in your pursuit here have validated that descriptor. You are a renaissance man in an important field and one that is going to impact us, not just in terms of broad health and wellness, but clearly in this post-COVID era greatly in terms of how we treat ourselves around health, how we live around health, how we surround ourselves with wellness, and uh, most importantly, how we get back to humanity. Because as you see people coming out of doors now, dropping masks, you know, the courage to shake one another's hands. Somebody approached me the other day on the street and asked me, you know, can we shake hands? And it was great to say, yes, we can, because I'm a big believer in human interaction on all different levels, impacting our, our, our wellness and our health. So very, very proud to see a vowel at the end of a name who is transforming our lived space so diligently and doing so much work to study that. And uh, I look forward to seeing where this thing goes in the future because I have a great confidence in what you've done in your leadership and your knowledge and also in the treatment of people first and putting people before everything else. And, and that's really what wellness is all about. So congratulations on great works. John, thank you for your kind words, um, and uh, thank you for this platform. Uh, it's an awesome platform you have, and I look forward to continuing to tune in. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is certainly something that uh, we're going to continue to push ahead on. And, you know, what people often say is it's kind of cool. Yeah, this is a for-profit enterprise, but the good, the good news here is that every dollar we make, we're making somebody healthier, and that's a good combination.
So tell the audience before we go how they can learn more about Delos if, if they have uh, decisions to be made about their own space or space that they impact or control. How, how do they find you and uh, how yeah. do they reach out? Sure. So anything on kind of, you know, particular products, whether it's lighting or air filtration, water filtration, what have you, uh, delos.com, D-E-L-O-S.com. And then on the other side, again, on the well uh, rating, uh, wellhealthsafety.com. Where can I buy the light bulbs? I, uh, well, let's get on a call. We'll get you guys, uh, we'll get you set up. <laughs> Absolutely. I would be very interested in getting those light bulbs and trying them out. John, are you on board with that? Anything you want. We can get light bulbs. We can try it all. We've got plenty of opportunity to engage. And Paul, tell the audience, you mentioned that they can access your research as well. Which website is that on? Wellcertified.com. It will get you the entire library of all the work done over 10 years on the relationship, again, between you and what surrounds you indoors. Well, that's a phenomenal contribution to society, and I'm glad that there's an Italian-American behind it. I hope everybody out there has taken this opportunity to really think about our space, our 90% of our lives, which blows your mind, lived indoors, and how you can improve that and you can address that and how you can give yourself and the people you love a better opportunity towards true health and wellness. So from all of us at the Italian American Podcast, thanks for listening. Be well, and we'll see you next week. That you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great See that you're born an Italiano